as we've been working our way through the book of Acts, you see a lot of significant things that I think could the modern church could learn from. And I think one of them is just having the Holy Spirit present. And I think there's a lot of churches, and this is my opinion, that have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. Kind of run as businesses and CEOs or pastors. And, and I will still go back to this statement that I've made numerous times over the years. I believe that some pastors have a career choice, have made a career choice, and other pastors are called. And I think when you have a career choice as a pastor, you've got something that's not going to work very well very long. And I think that's why it has to be a calling of God. And uh, I was just reminded, someone asked me yesterday or two days ago about my calling. And I said, man, I remember like it happened yesterday. I was in eighth grade. Um, I wish it was always this clear for everybody because it would save a whole lot of heartache. Um, but I know for me, I was in eighth grade. I surrendered to the call of God to preach. Um, when college came around, I knew what I was doing. I didn't have to sit there and wonder and, you know, take a bunch of general classes and figure out what it, what was going to happen next. I, I knew where I was going. I just wish it was that clear for everybody because it would save a whole lot of headache. How many people are actually using the degree which they went to school for? I mean, a couple of you. <laughs> Most people get a degree in this area and they end up serving somewhere in that area. It has nothing to do with it. I mean, it's probably 50-50, but, but the reality is... I'm thankful that God made it that clear for me. This is what he had for me. I remember the preacher. I remember the passage. I remember the message. I remember everything about it. And I'm so thankful that God called me. It wasn't a career choice because, goodness, if it was a career choice, I'd have quit and changed careers seven times over the years. And I'm thankful that uh, he doesn't uncall, at least for me, he hasn't uncalled me. And uh, I think he's brought me too far to go anywhere else and do something else as my youth pastor said, and it's kind of funny how this goes in circles. I love my youth pastor. My youth pastor was my youth pastor for 16 years at my home church. Uh, and then he took another pastor that he's been the pastor of for almost 30 years now. and so Or 20 years now. And so uh, he's still my youth pastor, even though he's not been a youth pastor for 20-some years. And now he calls me and says, hey, Ken, I got a situation. I'm like, what are you calling me for? You're the older guy. <laughs> and it's so funny. But to have that relationship amongst peers, you know, my youth pastor, and, and he says, and he goes, Ken, I guess I'm just too stupid to do something else. <laughs> and I think it's true sometimes. When God calls us, he gives us the love for what we do. And my love is revolving around the church. I love the church. Uh, I said again yet this week, I said every Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. Not because it's me, because I'm not a star quarterback. I'm a nobody. But it's because of you guys. We get to come together. We get to love on each other. We get to encourage one another. And I hope that you sense that in the, in the body of Christ. It shouldn't be a place. See, he's rambling. No, it's all for a purpose. The church should not be a place of discord and disharmony and disunity. It shouldn't be. You know, I get irritated with people who say, well, I left this church because the church. No, it usually isn't the church. It's usually some individual that takes you off. And because you don't follow Matthew 18... It never gets resolved. Let's just call it what it is. And typically, it's we go away from a church that irritated me, and it's not the individual. And sometimes there's irreconcilable differences. I get it. We agree to disagree. But usually it's not the church. It's usually an individual in that church that was being the jerk. And because they're walking in disobedience, we let them dictate what we do. Nonetheless, I'm thankful that God brings new families in because of circumstances. But the church should not be a place of frustration. There should be unity. There should be harmony. God loves that, right? 
He loves that. And it should be a place that we can come in together and encourage one another, lift each other up. Where, yes, there are frustrations in this world, but we come in and we're focusing on our love for one another. And yes, we deal with issues. And I promise you, I've said a hundred times over the last 11 years that I've been here, if you're causing problems, I'm going to be in your face. It's not going to happen here. I want God's unity. I want God's spirit here. I want God's, you know, blessing on it. And then when you don't deal with issues of sin, other things happen. And it causes further problems. And so we want to take care of issues when they arise. Not that I can fix it, but the bottom line is I want you to practice Matthew 18 and Matthew 5 where you forgive one another. You know, you didn't kick your kid out the first time he disobeyed you, or frustrated you, right? So why do we turn on our friends and our loved ones that we're supposed to, it says be kind to all people, especially those who are of what? The household of? Oh, that's right. Well, there should be a special love for one another in the body of Christ. There should be. That should be on your heart to love, especially those within. And I realize sin does damper relationships, but Matthew 18 really helps us work through all that stuff if we're willing to look at God's Word. He gives us the solution, right? 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 Yeah, thank you. Some of you get that. So, Matthew really teaches us a lot. Acts chapter 2 is what we're going to pick up today, and it's really about the church. And under some of your topics here, it may say something about a growing church, or a vital church grows, or the growing church, or something on your topic, beginning verse 40. But I want to just begin this morning by reading verses 40 through 47. We are going to be jumping around a little bit this morning, and uh, it's a similar message that I preached a while back. It's uh, not identical, but there's some things I want to pull in from other messages I've preached as we get into this topic. And I want you to think about your role in the body of Christ. Your role in the body of Christ in this church. And so, verse 40 says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Let me just stop right there. Is this any different today than the day it was written? (laughs) I mean, seriously, it's no different. We can look around at everything that's taken place in the world that we live, and we say it's no different today than it was when this was written. So, we have no excuses. It be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received His Word were baptized, and, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrines and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many... Wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and they had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Lord God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, I know that this is not a perfect church because it's made up of individuals, Lord, who are not perfect. We only have one perfect person, that's Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we know that the church is not perfect, but Lord, we are able to walk in fellowship and unity and in forgiveness for one another. And Lord, I know that we will make mistakes, we will have flaws, but I pray that we would concentrate on your forgiveness and love more than we do what... Lord, what irritates us and frustrates us. So, Lord, I pray that we would experience this unity. And, Lord, that we would experience what it means to be a true 
New Testament church. And I pray, God, that you would speak to all of our hearts, Lord. And I do pray this morning. I pray, God, if there be one here today, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, might today be a day of salvation for them. And, Lord, I also pray if there be those here today that are walking in disobedience and not fulfilling their role as a member of the church, Lord, that you convict them of that and bring them into a right relationship with both you and the church. And I ask, God, that your will be accomplished in this area. And, Lord, I pray that you would, Lord, for many who are so faithful, Bless them for their faithfulness, Lord, for you alone are worthy to be so blessed because of what you've done. So, Lord, speak to our hearts and, Lord, uh, work in our hearts and draw us close to you as a result of being here this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I've said many times, a lot of people have a lot of ideas what the church is or is not. Um, In just a few moments, I'm going to show you some characteristics of what a true New Testament church is, but I want to also share a few ideas what the church is not. Number one, the church is not the building, right? We, we, we've heard that a thousand times in our lifetime. If you've been in church at all, the church is not the building. The building is a tool. The building houses the church. The building is used as a tool to, get, to accomplish areas of ministry within the church. It's not about how nice the building is. I, I, if you go down south, go to other, maybe even churches around Rochester, I haven't been to a ton of them as far as services, but you can find a lot nicer buildings than what we have. I mean, I can remember a few years ago when we had a flood in the basement. Anybody remember that catastrophe? I mean, I, I was getting so irritated. I was—I mean, I walked downstairs and it reeked to high heaven. And I was so worried about I couldn't get this fixed. I couldn't get it fixed. I couldn't get it fixed. Insurance wasn't going to cover it. Well, we don't flood insurance. Well, why would we have flood insurance? We'd never had a flood before. You know, they had all kinds of loopholes, and we didn't get a dime from our insurance company to fix the flooding, and it reeked, and it was stinking like mold, and it was just, ugh, it's disgusting. And all of a sudden, God just reminded me, and I threw my hands up in the air and started laughing. I was like, Lord, if you want it to stink, it's your building. <laughs> I mean that. And I would turn around and walk upstairs. It's your building. If you want it to stink like mold, it's your building, God. If you want to fix, fix it. It's yours. The church is not the building. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the building that we forget about the church. I remember when we first got here, it was 11 and a half years ago, and I had my first deacons meeting, and we were talking about, and I inherited the problems of the foundation, and thankfully we got a lot of that fixed. And you know, I remember Len Platten looking up at me, he goes, Pastor, maybe I would just sell the building and start over. And I looked at Len, and I'm like, what are you, nuts? I think he was on to something. We probably should have. But looking back, you know, it's here and there, but it's not the building. And we can get so wrapped up, you know, and I remember David Platt talking about the church that he went to in Birmingham, Alabama. And, you know, the day that they came here, and he's like, this is monster mega church, and they have theater-style seating, and the lighting was just multi-million dollar lightings. And, and he said... I remember reading a, a magazine. Church sends money to Africa to help with starvation. And comes to find out, it's his church, I believe. And he says, what, we're sending a $5,000 check to Africa and we got a $15 million building or whatever it was? What's wrong with this? What is wrong with this? You can send millions on a building and in comparison a drop in the bucket for ministry. Lord, that may never be us. It's not a building. It's not a social club. 
Oh, I know in certain parts of the city, there's the happening church that all the politicians go to. I know down south where my grandparents went, that was the church where all the local politicians went to. That was the one, that was the big one. Everybody went to the big First Baptist Church. That's their church. That's where anybody who's anybody goes. There's those churches. It's not a social club. It's not a country club. God didn't design it to be that. God, may we, I hope we never come to that. That's not God's plan. We shouldn't be the happening church. I remember a couple years ago there was this big survey going around Facebook. Top ten churches to worship in, in, in Rochester. Anybody remember this? Irritated the fire out of me. Please vote for our church as the top church to worship in. Really? That's what you want to be known for? You're the, survey. We're number one church in Rochester. Good job. Good job. God's really pleased with that. Irritating. It's not a business. This church is not a business. There are business factors that you have to consider, but the reality is it's not a business. It's a body of believers, right? It's not a museum of, or a historical record of the past. So many churches live in the past. I remember the days that we used to run fill in the number. I hope our best days are not in the past. I hope what we look for and re- look forward to and remember are not, you know, in a couple months we're going to be celebrating our 50th anniversary as a church. Praise God for His faithfulness. But I hope it's not a history of the past where we look back and say, wow, those were the days. Those were when it really was happening. Those were really when God's blessing was on it. I hope that God's blessing us now and we see God, you know, our, that our best days are yet coming. I hope we don't live in the past. And by the way, it's not a democracy. It's not a democracy where everyone gets to vote and get their way. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. I see that there was unity. I see that they worked together. But I don't see where it was a democracy where anybody got to choose their way, and if they didn't get their way, well, they had the right to throw a hissy fit and divide the church. It's not in Scripture. And you can prove me wrong, but where is a democracy in Scripture? If anything, it's a theocracy followed by a pastoral-led church. But we want to have our own way. And if we don't get it, we're going to let everybody know that I think that what pastor did was the dumbest thing. What that deacon board was the dumbest thing. What them elders did was the stupidest thing. Well, that music team is so stupid, I didn't get my, I didn't get my way. And we sit there and gripe and complain and cause discord. And let me just tell you from the Old Testament, God hates discord. I don't hear no amens on that. He hates it. In Acts chapter 14, verse 27, says, Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, and that He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Whoa, 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 stop right there. The church was inclusive of other nationalities? I dream of a church where we have a hundred nationalities in here. Say, why am I so nice to the Nepalis? Because no one else is. I'll just say it like it is. Do they make a mess? Yep. Am I on them almost literally every week about some mess they made? Yep. I'm not telling you. It's, it's, not, e- it's not easy. And I, my phrase to Pastor Dave that runs the Nepali church is, help me help you. If you don't help me by cleaning up after yourselves, I can't help you by giving space. It's not easy. And I'm always putting out fires with it. But I wish one day we would just come together, that there would be a language that we can just come together. 
I would love to see Africans in here and Russians, Ukrainians. I would love to see the church be inclusive more than what it is. How about some African-Americans and get some good music going on in here? Thank you, Miss Gloria, right? We, we need to have a little more of that. Nothing against our music. But we get so bogged down by what we like and what we think is good and what we think is biblical even. We've got no biblical basis for it other than our opinions and our preferences. What about the church? He says, they, they, they reported that God, and God actually opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. How dare he? These Gentiles are like rotten, wicked people. They're, they have idols that they worship. They, the, how dare he do that? He's God. He didn't make just a God. It, a church is not just for white people. How many think Jesus was white? What? Of course he was, right? But we act like it. We act like it, don't we? He has to be just like me. It's the God I imagine. It's the Jesus I know. It's the Jesus I was taught and talked about. Jesus opened the door to everyone. We forget. God's Word is clear about what a church is. A church is a local body of Christ followers, a family of saved believers who have been baptized and have united in fellowship to carry out God's purposes and will, both personally and corporately. Do you realize that this is only one of three institutions? God formed the family, He formed government, and He formed the church. That's it. And as one of the three institutions that God formed, He gave the criteria of what makes it up. It's clear. It's a look of body of Christ followers. That's the first thing. You should write this down. You don't know what church is? Church is, first of all, a body of Christ followers. You see, I, I don't like asking people, are you a Christian? Pat answer is what? Yeah, everyone's a Christian. Everyone's a Christian. Are you, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay, but Christians are supposed to what? Follow Christ. Bottom line. Are you following Christ? You're following somebody, but are you following Christ? So not only is it a body of Christ followers or family, but it's a family of saved believers who have been baptized and have united in fellowship. So we have a body of saved believers who have been baptized. Question, have you been biblically baptized? It's a first step of obedience following your faith in Christ. It's your first step of faith. First step of obedience, excuse me, upon your faith in Christ. And by the way, and I'll say it till I die, sprinkling doesn't count. It's not in God's Word. Infant baptism doesn't count. It's not in God's Word. Baptism is the picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you can't picture the death, burial, and resurrection by getting sprinkled, it doesn't work. I'm not against child dedication. I'm against child baptism because it's not in God's Word. And furthermore, you'll find out in Scripture, if you follow the Scriptures, is that baptism always follows belief, which pretty well knocks out infant baptism. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what's happening to them. All they know is that they're going to start crying in a minute because water's going to be running down their nose. They don't know. 
See, baptism is a conscious decision to identify with Christ. It's a public testimony. As I've said before, I've had people ask me, can we do it on a Saturday when nobody's there? Nope. Sorry. I know you might be a little bit shy, but no, we don't do it on Saturdays because it's a public profession of your faith. It says I'm not ashamed. And I hope that when we do it in a couple weeks, that you'll invite all your friends and relatives and neighbors that may not have a church family, that may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, so that you can publicly proclaim your faith through baptism. I hope that you'll do that. But God's Word is very clear. And then number three, they're united in fellowship to carry out God's purposes and will. The church does not exist as a... You know, I, I've thought about this a thousand times, but I, could not, I, I don't like shows like Little House, is it Little House on the Prairie and The Waltons. Every time those shows come on, I just like, I want to gag a maggot. I, I, it's, I'm sorry, I just I don't like them. John Boy is not the end-all, one-all, uh, infinite wealth of wisdom. And, uh, you know... Father, whatever his name is, is, on Little House, Ingalls, and everything else that happened. In the, no, unbiblical church. Sorry. It may be a wholesome clean that there's no cuss words. I'll give you that. But the reality is, that's not a church. A church was not the central location that, that, that cover all the political issues of the town. I will tell you, though, this, that the church was the foundation for taking a stand against evil. Look in history. Look at our Constitution. Much of the Constitution was preached in pulpits before it was written on a piece of parchment. That's fact. It's not to be up here to sit there and make it all-inclusive for the world around us to make sure that we don't hurt anybody's feelings. That's not the purpose of the church. I'm sorry. The church is to carry out God's will in unity, both personally and corporately. When someone asks me if I'm willing to give to all these other parish or not, not even parachurch, all these outside organizations, you know, do you want to you want to get? I usually don't. Why? Because I can accomplish it through the church, and I'd rather give through the church where I know where it's going to go. That's the way I believe. God uses the church to carry out His purposes and His will, both personally and corporately. First Corinthians, and we will get into our text in Acts two. I promise you. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm almost there, verses 27 and 28 says this. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after miracles, and then gifts, healings, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. You know, God gives the gifts of the church to carry out His purposes, His wills, His will. The reality is, oftentimes we want to do our own thing. And when that happens, it usually is followed by discord and disunity. We've got to start getting back to where God is on the leadership panel, and he's, what He says goes. But He does allow within the body of Christ those who are leaders. In fact, He gave deacons and He gave elders. And it really, that's it. In Deacons, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, actually verses 1-13, through 13, in Titus 1, he gave the description of qualified church leadership. So it's not just a figment of someone's imagination that we have deacons, and deacons need to do what God has called them to do as far as serving the church. He says, is the elder to leave the tables, or leave the, the preaching of the word to, to set up tables? No. He said, their deacons are, are to be servants and the workers of the church. That's what he designed it to be. 
elders to take care of the spiritual affairs of the church. And by the way, who's going to be the next elders in this church? It says if a man desire the office of a bishop. I don't, I don't know who that is, but, but there are qualifications underneath that, but it starts with a desire. And then if you biblically fulfill the characteristics, Pastor Jim can't do a whole lot these days. He's tied up. But who's going to be the next generation? Mike's, how old are you, 81? 80? 81. He's not going to be here forever. Who's going to be the next Mike? The next Jim? Who's God going to build up to be that next person? Who's going to say, God, work through me. Use me. And fulfill those characteristics and those roles. But a local body is compared to a physical human body. In fact, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12 just for a moment. And then we'll, we'll come back. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's compared to a human body. And let me just say, I've said a hundred times, we've laughed about it, but some of you are armpits, man. Some of you are armpits. Some of you are like stinky feet. You just need a bath. I don't know. Some of you are tongues that just, ooh, nonstop. I'm just saying, not everybody's perfect. This one ain't perfect, right? So local bodies compared to a physical or human body. Uh, the body has many parts and specific functions. If you see that beginning of verse 12, it says, For as the body is one, it has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into the one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. When I, when I think about this, I remember... The first time I was in India, and I was in Dr. Chatla's office, and above his office wall, or office door, he has this thing. He says, in Christ there are no castes. See, in many worlds, there's a hierarchy of order. But he says, when these people come to know Jesus Christ, it's no longer about, I'm in this caste, or I'm in this caste, or you're in that caste. We're all one in Christ. In Christ there are no castes. It's not about whether or not you're white or black or Ukrainian or Russian or, or you know, Congolese or, or what. If you know Jesus, we're together. Let's act like it. No one's better than someone else. You may have a different role, a different function, but it doesn't make you better. It doesn't make you one-up just because. Verse 14 says, For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, am I not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? (laughs) There you go. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased. Get that. God places you in the body as it pleases Him. Think about that. I don't think it's an accident when God brings a new family in. I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it's coincidence. I don't think it's chance. I I can't go out in the streets and say, hey, you need to come here. 
hey, you, I know you've been here, but you need to really go over there. God places people in the body as He sees fit. And He says in Matthew, other sheep have I that need to be what, come part of the fold. We're to go out and get them, bring them in. But the reality is God places them. Some last, some don't. It says in verse 19, and if, all, and if they were all one member, where would the body be? In other words, he talks about all the members being different parts, right? What if every one of you were an eye? That'd be scary. All of you are a bunch of feet going your own direction. That'd be scary. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't have need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weak are necessary. Think about that. The weaker parts of your body, necessary. Let's read between the lines. The smallest parts of your body, there to reproduce. There to make stronger. There to make more. Your tongue. How powerful is that? A small member. How powerful is that? If it's used correctly fingers. Relatively small compared to your leg. The small members. The ones that seem to be less significant. Yet just as needful. You say, well, I'm not a very good teacher. Good. It's okay. Not everyone's going to be a teacher. Some people need to fold the bulletins. Some people need to say hi to everyone that walks through the door. Everyone is necessary. Verse 23, And those members of the body which think to be less honorable, and these be still greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks, that there should be no schism. What's that word schism mean? Division. God loves unity. In the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. You know, it's amazing. When you take a shower in the morning, do you just wash one leg or do you wash both? No, no, no. You, i got to separate somehow. I can't get this leg wet, but this leg's okay. I'm going to wash this hand, but not this hand as you're standing under the shower. You say, well, that's ridiculous. Right. Absolutely ridiculous. That's what he says but that the members should have the same care. All your body parts get the equal care. All of our members get equal care. There shouldn't be cliques. shouldn't be the, well, those are the wealthy ones. Or those are the ones that get all the pastor's attention. Those are, that doesn't work. That doesn't fly. And if one member suffers, what's that next phrase? All the members suffer with it. Well, wait a minute. I got a toothache. It doesn't affect your back. I mean, but when you don't, when you got a toothache, how many feel like going to work? Why not? It's not your, it's not your feet. It's not your legs. It's not your brain. It's your tooth. Your tooth is fine. Everything else is everything else is fine. Why, why, why does one little part affect your whole body? Anybody ever had a backache and you didn't feel like working? Well, what's wrong with your feet? Your feet are fine. Go to work. Your eyes work. Go to work. Why don't we want to do that? Because when one part suffers, 
the entire suffers. Right? When one side of the church is going through, when family on this side of the church is going through a difficult time, we should be rallying around them. Not judging. Well, if they wouldn't have done this, it wouldn't have happened. No. Who made you so self-righteous? We should be together. It's not my words, it's God's word. But yet we're critical and judgmental. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. I get pretty excited when somebody gets honored within our church. I've bragged on several of you several times. You don't even know it. Someone talks about their mechanic being good, and I was like, yeah, but was your mechanic the ASC mechanic of the year not once but twice? Yeah, I brag on Brian. I brag on all of you. Why? Because I'm excited. I, this, this is my family. This, You are my family. If you've been here, you're my family. My family knows you call my phone anytime, day or night, and I'll, more than likely I'll answer it. If I, if I hear it, I'll answer it. My biggest pet peeve is when people don't answer the phone. It drives me nuts. Take two seconds and answer it. Bottom line is, we are family. My greatest memories are around God's work, God's church. I had my first fishing trip. It was a father-son fishing trip at my church. I learned to work on buses on Saturday mornings at my church. Went on youth outings at my church. Everything. I had cleaning days at church. I mean, I, we didn't just have the fun stuff. We had the dumb stuff, too. We were there every time the doors were open. It was just ingrained within us that you know the church is, is God's favorite entity. Everything happened around the church growing up. And it seems like today the church gets the leftovers. I'll be honest with you. I hate it. I hate it. I hate that COVID screwed up our schedules. I hate it. And once you give up ground, you don't give it, get it back rarely. I hate it. I hate how things have changed because of circumstances around us. Everything has consequences. I know missions are done differently in different groups and circles and denominations and so forth. But you know the primary way that missionaries got support was to go around from church to church to church to church for years and years and years and years because we had a Sunday morning service, we had a Sunday night service, we had a Thursday night prayer meeting or Wednesday night prayer meeting. We had Sunday school hours. You know who has suffered in all these changes? Missionaries. They have one service a week in 90% of churches across America. And guess what the one service that pastors are not going to give up for some a guest speaker is? That one service. We're different around here. I give it up. I don't like to. But I do. Because I know it's the only door they're going to get, some of them. But we've changed. The church is not the lifeblood anymore. Everything else is. Church gets leftovers. It's reality. We don't want to talk about it, but it's reality. Church gets leftovers. 80% of church is still online. Why? We have the opportunity to come and, and see each other and smile at each other and put us, put you know, hug each other. Okay, well, I'm not a huggy person. Great. 
80% of you are, though. And they need a hug. Who needs a hug? There you go. All of you. Sorry, though. <laughs> it's funny. Oh, by the way, I love it when you go, la, 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 la. I love, you see the look on your faces, some of you. It's hilarious. I absolutely, there is no theological or doctrinal wording behind la, 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 la. But it is absolutely great to watch you guys' faces on that. I see, I see some of you younger, younger kids are like singing it out and mom and dad are like, not singing those words. It's great. I love it. It's just like, you can see a picture of yourself, man. I'm going on World's Funniest Home Videos. Almost to my text. So what are some of the purposes and functions of the church? And I'm going to give you a pastoral standpoint before we get in our Acts chapter 2. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians 4. It's going to be a review for some of you, I know. But for some of you, it won't be. Ephesians 4, beginning verse 11. It says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So here's what you see in verse 12. For what? For the equipping of the saints. Who are the saints? What? The church. All of y'all. Anybody that knows Jesus Christ as their Savior. Anybody who claims to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You are the church. You are the saints. And God says, hey, you need a pastor who will equip you to do the work of the ministry. I can think I can safely say that for the last 11 and a half years I've been teaching the Word and encouraging us to do the work of the ministry. I've been equipping, but at what point will we start doing? Some are. Don't get me wrong. It's not everybody. But some of you ain't done one thing in the 11 years I've been here. That's the truth. But man, he's on a harp and roll today. I'm just preaching the Word. Some of you ain't done nothing in 11 years. What's your work for the work of the ministry? You've been equipped, you've been trained, you've been you've been told, you've been given opportunity, you've been you know of projects, and you still ain't doing nothing. Do you realize that you don't have to be good at it? Did you know that? You don't have to be good at it. In fact, he says in Second Chronicles sixteen, he says, For the eyes of God run to and fro throughout the whole earth to do one thing to show himself strong. In him whose heart is perfect towards him. God says, you don't have to be good at all. You don't have to be a good speaker. You don't have to be good at Sunday school. You don't have to be, be able to relate to everybody. You don't have to have the nicest this and the best that. He says, I will show myself through that person. You know what that does? It takes all the pressure off of you and me. Did you know that? It takes all the pressure off of you. Because you don't have to be good. You just have to be willing. That's it. God says, I will show myself strong through Him. You don't have to be good. You just have to be willing. That's it. That takes all the pressure off me. It's not about me anyway, right? It's not about us. Because if you're really good at something, what do you need God for? That's what He said, not me. So for the equipping of saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So then he said, hey, I'm going to equip you to edify one another. How do you edify one another? What does the word edify mean? Build up. How do you build one another up? 
encouragement, doing things for, being kind to, and that doesn't cost you anything. That's all free. But are you willing to do it? I said a few weeks ago, God's Word says in Hebrews 10.25 to, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And here's what I said, and some of you kind of went, huh? I've been taught my entire life that to forsake this means not to, it means to bail out on church. No, it doesn't. It can include that. But I can be here every single time the doors are open and still be guilty of forsaking the assembly. The idea of forsaking the assembly is the entire idea of I'm going to walk through the doors of this group and walk through right through the midst of you and say, no, I don't care about any of you. I'm going to do my own thing. Be selfish. You'll forsake the assembly. Look it up. Prove me wrong. That's what it means. I can be here every time the doors are open and still be guilty of forsaking. But I can also come in and be encouraged to equip one another and say, ah, I'm all about me today. I need some me time. No, it's not about you. And it's never going to be about you. we got to understand that. It's not about you. It's never going to be about you and what you want in this church. And then he says, how long should I do this? Verse 13. Till we all come into the unity of the faith. Oh, wait a minute. There are different types of faith? Yeah, that's why we have so many stinking registered denominations in this world. They have their faith and their faith and their faith and his faith and their faith and their faith and his faith. No. Get back to this. That's where it's at. Thank you, Aaron. This is where it's going to draw us together. Not my opinions, not my experiences, not my preferences, not my personal beliefs. Unless they're based on God's Word, it doesn't matter. It says, in the knowledge of the Son of God... And to a perfect, that word perfect means, because none of you are perfect and I'm not either. There's only one perfect person. The word perfect there means mature. So you come into a, a mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? Verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. Love is a unique thing. Love can motivate us to do a lot. But he's just speaking the truth in love. Why is it that I harp on these things from time to time? Why? I mean, I could give you a feel-good, easy message and say, boy, you guys are just wonderful. You're so great. I can't believe that you choose to come here every week. Boy, you're just so well-dressed and you do so much. and You're just, you're just, you're just awesome, beautiful in, incredible people. I just, I can't, I'm so, pr- I, I could give you a flowery message every week. Would that, would that be love though? No. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't, ca- I mean, how many of you discipline your children just because you get a kick out of it? That's not why we discipline our kids. I know you kids might think that sometimes, but that's not why we discipline. We discipline because we love you. We love our kids, and we want them to be productive adults when they grow up. And that means sometimes getting a swift kick in the hind end. And sometimes we as a church need a swift kick saying, we're not doing our job. We're not doing what God's called us to do. And therefore, we look at God's Scripture and we say, wow, we need to implement this. Nobody likes to say, well, my pastor's on a kick today. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Ken. Appreciate that. 
That's what I needed. No, nobody wants to do that. But when you preach the Word, sometimes it kicks us in the hinder parts, doesn't it? It makes us realize what we're not doing and what we should be doing. It's real easy as Christians. We talk about in Sunday school, oh, I'm not a murderer, I'm not a molester, I'm not a thief, I'm not stealing anything from anybody, and I'm not cheating on anybody, so I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. Really? Good at, so you're good at not doing certain things. Yay. But what about the things you should be doing? When's the last time you shared your faith? Let's just be honest. Those are the things that God says, hey, it's not just this, it's this too. But the purposes and function of the church, God to equip God's people to do the work of the ministry, to submit itself to the teaching of God's word. I, I ain't got time to get into all this. To take opportunities to participate in God's word. Matthew 4.19, James 1.22. To him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. Some of you have opportunities to get involved and you willfully, ignorantly choose every week not to do it. Why? You're missing out on the blessings. You're missing out on getting involved in God's work. I have such great joy of being able to be a part of what God is doing. You miss the opportunities to receive God's blessing when you say, I don't want to be a part of what He's doing. Financially, spiritually, even emotionally. Some of you are so wrapped up in your own self that you can't, can't see anything else. You want to get your mind off yourself? Go to Africa. Pick a country. You think it's so bad here? Go, one, go to one of those. Pick one. Any of them. Pick one. You realize how, how blessed we are here. How much we do have. How great it is. And we don't even think about it. I, I don't think there's a person in this room that has ever had to go to the local garbage dump where people throw all their garbage there and start sifting through, first of all, to find a, a, a container that doesn't have a hole in it. Then find some clean water to find a, to, to, to wash it out and to put some drinking water or, clean, or, or cooking water in. I don't know one person in this room that's had to do that. We have got it so good. And when we can be a blessing to someone else and we choose not to do it, why? I ain't got time for that. I got my own worries. Got my own frustrations got my own needs. Wow. Some of us are going to get to heaven one day and realize that we had it all wrong. If you make it there, I mean. Some people ain't going to make it. Uh, I, to say it, life doesn't reflect the life that has been given solely to God. And then, another one, to make disciples who, re- who reproduce themselves in others. Second Timothy 2.2. 2. Okay, real quickly, close of Matthew and Acts chapter 2. Let's get over there just for a minute. Notice the model of the first church. We read the verses 40 through 47, but the first one I want you to see is in verse 41. It says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. The first thing I want you to see about the church here is that they gladly received the word. You say, man, Pastor, if everything you told us, we're supposed to gladly receive that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Because it's not my word. It's not my word. 
God's Word. We are to gladly receive God's Word. Some of y'all ought to see yourself sometimes. Seriously. I mean, you just got to see yourself sometimes. When you got to come up here and look out at you and you're like, And you don't move. It's just like, is in, is, is, hello, anybody home? <laughs> I know the lights are on, but I'm not sure anybody's home. They came and gladly received the Word. I don't care who's teaching up here. Sometimes you say, well, that was a good message. Sometimes you say, man, he's on left field. So far, I didn't know where he was. The, the pastor just land the plane so we can go home. Just go. And some days there are people up here and you're like, he's all over the map. He's everywhere and I can't follow him. Here's the point. You come to church and you say, God, will you teach me today? Show me something that I can take with me this week to help me grow and to walk with you. That should be our prayer. Whoever's up here. Sometimes we have our favorites. Put that aside. It's not about the messenger. It's about the message. Right? We're mature enough to understand that, right? So don't not come because I may be out a Sunday. God knows I don't want to be out. Prior to this year, I don't think I missed two consecutive Sundays in 20 years. I hate missing church. I despise it. I love being in church. I love being in this church. I don't like being gone. But whoever's in here, it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. So they came and they gladly received the Word. But not only that, they preached the Gospel message. We see that in verses 41 and 42. Then they gladly received the Word, were baptized, and, 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 and that, day, that day about 3,000 souls were added. I'd love to have a 3,000 day Sunday. That'd be pretty sweet, wouldn't it? problem is we won't know what to do. Let's just be honest. I've had families come in here before with four teenagers and we didn't know what to do. We've had that. I used to think, man, we don't have a youth ministry, but man, if three, three or four of the families that would have come here would have stayed and stuck it out, we would have a youth ministry. We don't have all the bells and whistles. But we're going to preach the gospel. I can't keep up with every other church that has steak dinners every Friday night for the guys. I can't keep up with it. Not even going to try. I don't have smoke screens and colored lights. Not even going to try. I'm not going there. That's not what we're about. If you remember, I came here 11 and a half years ago. I said, we had a bush in our backyard in Indiana. And I promise you, I cut that bush down every stinking summer we were there. And by the end of summer, it was a big monster bush again. It just grew out of control. Some churches are like that. They just grow and grow and grow. They're the mega church. I said, that's not my desire. My desire here has always been, we're an oak tree. Grows slow, but grows deep and strong. We wouldn't know what to do with 3,000 people, but we're going to preach the gospel. We're going to do what's right, regardless. They fellowship with God's people. I'm, I'm skipping half my verses, too. They fellowship with God's people. We see that in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and prayers. They were fellowshipping. We should fellowship with one another. 
I know you can't be at everything all the time, but some of you ain't sat down and had a dinner with anybody at Fifth Sunday Fellowship since you've been here in years and years and years and years. If you don't like the food, don't eat. Fellowship. Fellowship. Get to know someone you don't know. Let them enrich your life by some of their experiences. Get to know them. Maybe you might find out some way that you can help them and bless them. But don't just take off. Come and fellowship around the Word, around the dinner. They prayed together. You need to pray with each other. It's one of the reasons I want to do the expansion. I want to have a prayer room here. That's why I've been wanting the balcony for two years. COVID screwed up everything. I messed up my plan. But we, we, need, we need to expand. There's a huge need to expand here. You say, well, I don't see it. How many of you remember all the kids that came up a few weeks ago or a couple months ago when you're like, I didn't know we had that many kids. Yeah, no, we got more than that now. And things are growing. You may not see it, but it's there. We need to grow or build. We need to expand. It's not just a desire. It's a need. They observed the ordinances. They broke bread. And they practiced baptism, which if you need to be baptized, come talk to me. Verse 43, I'm booking through it. Then fear came upon every soul, and many signs, wonders and signs were done through the apostles. They saw God's power. Let's answer this question in your minds. I know I'm going long. When's the last time you saw God's power? Let's just be honest. When's the last time you say, wow, that was a God thing. Huge God thing. I want to see that. I don't want to read about it, and I don't want to hear about it from some other church. I want to see it here. Anybody else? I want to see God's power and at hand of work here. That's why I'm not living in the past. I'm not thinking about the days that we used to do this or used to do that, or the days that we ran this or ran that. I don't care about the past. Let's learn from it, but we're not going to live there. I want to see God do something now. Verse 44 and 45. Now all who believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all anyone, as anyone had need. They were willing to, almost as it were, pool their goods and their wealth and their material things and share. There's a concept. Do you know that giving has gone down during COVID? Because fear came. See, the fear that you experience determines the actions you take. You see, this, <laughs> this fear that we read about in God's Word, verse 40, and with many other words they testified and exhorted them, saying, Be safe from this first generation than those who God received. Where is it? The fear came upon them, um, and this kind of fear turned into, let's help each other. COVID fear turned into, I'm going to hoard what I got just in case things get worse. I remember during those first couple of months of COVID, we didn't know what it was. Didn't know what was going to happen. There was great fear. I was going around buying food because the shelves at Wegmans was empty. I'd go up to Dollar General and Family Dollar and buy what they had, and I was giving it away. See, the kind of fear you experience, if you fear God, you're going to still give it away. If you fear everything else, you're going to hoard it. The kind of fear you experience determines the kind of actions you produce. But not only that, 
They reached their community, verse 46, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from households. They ate their food with gladness, simplicity of heart. I mean, they reached into their community. They had fellowship together. They ate together. Verse 47, they praised God together, praising God and having favor with all the people. They praised God together. There's like a novel concept. Let's open up our homes. You know, my goal when I planted our church in Indianapolis, my goal was to have a home Bible study in every neighborhood where we had a nucleus of people that attended our church. That was my goal. One of them was Briarwood Trace, and we had a home Bible study in Briarwood Trace. And it went over here. And, you know, I didn't teach them all, but we tried to have a home Bible study in the neighborhoods where we had our people. Why? Because it's an opportunity for you to reach into your community and reach people around you. Open up your homes. It's not a museum. It might to you, but you walk in our house, it's lived in. People feel comfortable in our home. But they praise God together. In verse 47, I think the conclusion I come from that, that they grew. When you will put into practice the things that make up a New Testament church, and then, by the way, I say you because it's all of us. I'm part of the you. I'm part of the you. But when you will do what needs to be done to be a New Testament church, God will bless that. God will bless that. But you can't be lone rangers and expect God to do something. You can't just kind of hide out and do your own thing and expect God to bless. They were together. They were unified. I think, I think I'm reading between the lines here, the, the Greek lines here, but I think some of them swallowed their pride to do this. Because you can't have pride and be selfless at the same time. I don't know how God speaks to you. You say, well, this is kind of some interesting stuff that you've said, but how, what does God want you to do different because of what you hear and see and what you're challenged with? How does God want you to change to be what God wants you to be? But please don't walk out the back door and say, well, there's next week. What does God want you to do in response to what you've heard? To be a New Testament church, to be a part of the body of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I know the message is longer today. I, I know I've spoken a lot and rambled even a little bit. But I pray, God, you would take your word, the verses that were read, and help us to apply them to our lives. I pray, dear Father, Lord, that you would help us to not just be challenged, but be changed. I pray, Lord, that you would humble us in our pride and our arrogance not think ourselves better than what we are because we're not I'm not I have so far to go so much to do many things to change to be what you want me to be but God I pray that all of us as a body of Christ Lord would be open to the change that is necessary God I pray that you would speak to our hearts as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, as I say often every week, we have an opportunity to respond to the things that we heard. I, I don't know how God's speaking to you. I don't know if He did speak to you. But if He did, what will be your response? What will be your response? What does God want you to do differently because of what you've heard? 
because of how he's challenged you through his spirit. Can I say it starts with prayer? Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, God has spoke to me. Some things that I need to do differently, some things that I need to change. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? Yes. Yes. All over. Yes, on the side, in the back. How about you? You're thinking, but what about you? What does God want you to do different? I don't know what that may be. I think y'all are smart enough to read between the lines. You know what you need to do. Are you willing to do it? Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. God's challenged me. Yes. Yes. So for those of us who may have lifted our hands and our hearts to the Lord this morning in response to what He has said, can I just challenge you to take a moment right where you're at and pray. James reminds us that him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, it's sin. You need to start by confessing it as such. then ask God, for, ask God for his help, his wisdom. He's not giving you the spirit of fear, but of love, power, sound mind. he give you the courage and the boldness to do what he's asked you to do. So ask him for his help. James tells us if you lack wisdom, he'll give you the wisdom that you need, and he gives it liberally. Just take a moment and pray, and give it to God. I'll stand to our feet. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would work in each and every one of our hearts. Lord, that we would be the church that you've called us to be. Lord God, I pray that you'd help us to remove every excuse, every justification, every rationalization of why we're not doing what we should do. God, I pray that you'd help us to be honest and to make a commitment, Lord, or recommit to doing all that you'd ask for us to do, to be all that you ask for us to be. Would you speak to our hearts, Father, even beyond this service time? Be with each one who raised their hand, Lord. Give them victory this week, Lord, as they begin to implement changes in their own walk. And Lord, may we see your hand at work. May we see the power of God at work in our midst. So Lord, speak to us. And may we respond in obedience. We pray in Jesus.